0: Welcome to the Neighbourhood Rewatch podcast. A very special episode. Why is it a special one? Why is this a special episode? Because we spoke to Matt Hancock. Oh, not that dickhead.
1: He's got such weird policies and ideas and he's just coming across so badly on that SAS programme and, he, and he's doing the fucking jungle. We're all
0: sick of that knobhead. No, not that Matt Hancock. Not the disgraced politician. Who then? Uh, Matt Hancock from Neighbours. Remember the Hancock family? No! <laughs> well, we had to judge Stephen's memory as well. Stephen who? Stephen Hunt, who played... Stephen mad- Hunt,
1: Republic of Ireland midfielder, Stephen Hunt, who used to play for Wolves and Ipswich. The guy with the curly hair who used to be a mad dog in midfield like an absolute terrier.
0: No, not unfortunately, not him. Uh, oh. even I, I have slid into his DMs as well, though, but that's that's completely unrelated to the podcast. Yeah, we spoke to Stephen Hunt, who did play Matt Hancock back in 2001 to 2002 on Neighbours, part of the infamous Hancock family. We didn't talk to him about uh, him swimming the English Channel. We completely... oh, he did, though. He did that in 2002, and it was, fucking, it was fucking fantastic. What a legend.
1: He was going to be an Olympian, but then he hurt his finger. We did...
0: That isn't in the podcast, we'll tell you now. Yeah, uh, we also didn't talk to him about his best mate being Dan McPherson. We went to
1: school with Dan McPherson, who played Joel on Neighbours. That's fucking big news.
0: It is. Uh, we also forgot to ask him about his surfing, because he's a massive surfer. He loves a surf. He can't wait for a surf and a swim in the ocean. Uh, and we also forgot to ask him about his cameo as well, because he does have a cameo. I love asking people what they get asked to do on their cameo, because there's some fucking great stories for that. We're going to have to get him on again, aren't we? <laughs> we are. We're just going to have to do a part two. But we did talk to him about TED Talks about being a CEO Uh, we talked about best man speeches and we talked about Elvis as well what more do you want this is a podcast that's sometimes about neighbours G'day, this is Mark Rafferty, also known as
2: Dr. Darcy Tyler on Neighbours. Alan Fletcher here, aka Dr. Cal Kennedy from Neighbours. It is Kim Valentine here, or Libby Kennedy from Neighbours. It is Jason Cruz here,
1: also known as Nicholas Atkins. And you're listening to the award-winning Neighbourhood Rewatch podcast.
0: The best podcast in the entire world. J.K., Adam, thanks for taking me down memory lane. You are the best UK Neighbours that anyone could ask for. Welcome to the Neighbourhood Rewatch Podcast, a very special episode of the podcast, because we have Adam with us, and we have Stephen Hunt, aka Matt Hancock. How are you doing?
2: Yeah, really well. stuck Stuck to actually meet you guys.
0: I know. We've been messaging for a while now, haven't huh, really? we? You've been a, a, a very busy man. I have. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're very grateful in you carving out just a little bit of spare time for were us. Were you
1: busy really, Steve? or were you like trying to weigh it up whether you really <laughs> wanted to come on here and actually talk to these two idiots who are probably dredging up something that you've long since forgotten from 20 years ago We you're like, mm, I don't think it's worth it.
2: <laughs> yeah, you guys wouldn't believe it, but... The last three months has actually been the busiest period of my entire life. And um, I, I'm i not only doing a startup where I'm the CEO, so I'm really busy trying to run a team with, with trying to do a lot with a little, that's a startup, but I'm also raising money for that startup. So I'm trying to go and meet investors as well as run the business. And then I had this crazy opportunity to do a TED Talk, which sounds great but is a huge amount of preparation. And on top of all that, I'm in three bands. <laughs> so, it just got- Three bands?
0: <laughs> I, I I'd found two of them online. I didn't know there was a secret third one as well.
2: Oh yeah, there's three bands and I've got three kids and my poor wife, um, <laughs> you know, she's somewhere in there. <laughs> no, wonder,
1: <laughs> no wonder you need everyone mucking in and doing the washing up. You can't be doing that with all this going on. <laughs> This is honestly. good though because we don't, like, we don't actually have to talk about neighbours that much. Then we can talk to you about all this other stuff. Really? No,
2: it's been a crazy so, time, and honestly, it's finally coming down, and and I'm I'm just coming up for air. It's been um, it's been nuts, but it's um, but good nuts. Like you know, really, there's yeah, none. You've of still a, got a big smile on, on your
0: back. face.
2: Yeah,
1: it's not broken you just yet. Yeah. <laughs> what's <laughs> like so obviously we are going to talk a lot about neighbors and things like that but like you mentioned you're the ceo of this start thing do you want to tell us about that first that sounds very exciting very high pressured what's what's the deal what's all that about
2: yeah sure uh, so the company's called music health uh you could look at it at musichealth.ai is the website and um and we're trying to transform healthcare. and if i summarize it really really quickly if you look at Any ancient human civilization, whether it's the Aztecs, the Incas, the ancient Greeks, ancient China, even the didgeridoo from Australia is the oldest form of music therapy that we know of. We always use music to heal. So to use music to heal is actually human nature. And I always say to people, you know, a mother will always just sing a song or hum a melody, whether she's been trained musically or not, to soothe the baby. It's the simplest thing. So... I'm trying to bring music back into modern healthcare because modern healthcare, if you have ever been in a hospital, you'll know that you're trying to get better and you're hearing beep, 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 moan, moan, moan. Like it's terrible. <laughs> it's not a healing environment. And no. everything we hear triggers an emotional response in us. So, so that's, that's the premise of the business. And we started with dementia. We've created a product called Vera, which is um, veramusic.com. And it helps people with dementia find their memories through music. Because one of the weird things about dementia is your musical memories don't get impacted that badly, but you forget the names and faces of people. And that's really tragic. But if someone plays your song from your past, you suddenly get transported back and you can remember all the words. You can remember like every different part of it. And you can imagine. If you could empathise with someone with dementia who's not remembering a lot of things, when when you hear something you recognise and you can sing along to it, suddenly that's a joyous experience. And so, so Vera finds the songs from someone's past with very little information, no matter where they were born in the world, what language they speak, and what music they loved, it'll find it. And that's the whole premise. So it's quite a magical kind of solution. But that's what I'm doing, and it's... um. We're live in five countries, we're growing fast and it's hectically busy, but it's great and I love it. Yeah, that, yeah like, that sounds
0: amazing.
1: It must be rewarding that as well. Like that is that is the good nuts, isn't it? That's that's the kind of busy where that's, I wasn't expecting, expecting that. I think that's brilliant, honestly. I'm not just saying that cause you're on. Like, cause this is, this is like in a very simple kind of way. If I've had a bad day at work, I will get in the car to drive home, and I'll always put music on, and instantly feel better in the day. You forget about what went wrong that day, or what what stressed you out, and you just listen to different kind of music, and it can just change your day. That's the simplest level for me, but I I totally agree with with all of that. I get it. It's like the memory thing is so true as well. Yeah. Like how how do you like? I remember so many words to so many songs. And I don't know how it's, it's, do you know, do you know why that's a thing? Um, Why is that possible?
2: Look, I'm not, I'm not a a scientist or a medical professional. I'll I'll preface this, but as I understand it, the way that you remember, it's not just music, but poetry as well. The way that those things are stored in your brain goes through a different part of, um, of storage in memory compared to other things. And so they're, and for whatever reason, they're, they're largely unchanged by dementia. Not, not completely. You still obviously get impacted. But, but those things are much more readily available. And in my work, I've particularly on the, even the poetry side, like obviously we see people sing songs all the time and come back to the lyrics, and that's, that's what I do day in, day out. But every now and then I meet someone who has memorised poetry, and it's amazing. Like, they can just go for, like, Almost an hour, just reciting poem after poem after poem after poem, but then their wife comes in and they have no idea who she is, and it's just crazy. Our thing, so that's what we really tap into, and and what we actually do with it, which is more important, is we enable the caregivers to be able to call on that response when they're delivering care, because as you if you try to empathise with someone who's got dementia. You wake up every day in a place, you look around, you don't even know where you are. Someone comes in and says hi, you don't remember them. Like you're starting to get a bit worried, right? Or scared. And then they might even ask you to take your clothes off for a shower, you're like, no. And and this is why eventually you often see people get aggressive or violent or or retreat inwards and just be like, you know, not even talking, And it's because they're scared. You play them familiar music and suddenly, their brain actually gets stimulated in a different way. They're much more likely to remember the names and faces of people, much more likely to be able to use their, even their fine and gross motor skills to chew and eat and feed and swallow. And, and if you ask them to have that shower, they're much more likely to go, yeah, why not? Great music. <laughs> and that's, that's true. <laughs> and that's, that's really what i trying to do is make, make care easier through music and it works. Um, not every time, some people don't like music, some people, won't respond to it, but a lot of the time people will hear that music from their past. They'll be transported back to where they are and they'll be able to perform whether it's feeding, taking injection, having a shower, going to bed, getting up, getting dressed. Those what we call activities of daily living become much easier. And that's really what we're trying to do. It's
0: amazing that you like you say you can personalize it as well. You can find out what that music
2: has to be personalized. Has to be from their past like go back to when you were 15 or 16 okay quick quiz favorite album
1: oh i'm gonna I, this is this is very like obvious for like for our area of the uk but what's the story morning glory by oasis was the big one when I, i'm i sure i was fifteen, sixteen. 16
0: amazing jk what do you got see I, i'm gonna give a slightly more uh, <clears throat> wanky answer shall i say <laughs>
1: could be a little got- bit
0: more
2: pretentious.
0: <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I'd like to think it was something by the door. So I'm we like LA woman by the doors or something like that.
2: All right. Uh, well, both of you, so <laughs> just think about this. So we're probably, you're probably a bit younger than me. You might be in your thirties, right? But imagine you get to your eighties and maybe you've got dementia and you're starting to really lose sight of everything around you. And someone plays you those albums and you suddenly get transported back to yeah. feelings, the memories and the emotions that you associate with that, what a highlight that would be in your day at that time in your life. And that's what we're doing. And it's like incredibly powerful. And it's so easy for everyone to understand and empathize. And that's partly why I actually got invited to speak at TED. I didn't even ring them up or anything. I got someone call me up and said, oh, I've seen the work you're doing and we're, we're trying to program for for the next Ted speakers, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, Oh my God, of course I would. Like, that's been a dream of mine, but I've never pursued it, but yeah, let's go. And so I I, I just did a Ted talk, which has been released. And if you watch it, it'll explain all the science, all the history and what to do. And um, so I highly encourage your listeners to go check it out.
1: Oh well, yeah. Yes. Can we, put, we can put the links up and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, We'll go put on, the links yeah, up okay. to that.
0: Absolutely. It's so fantastic. Uh, to completely counterbalance that, should we talk about neighbors <laughs>
1: yeah, right. before we talk about neighbors like we, just while, just one more thing before we talk about neighbors so we've we've heard about music health brilliant, we've heard about the TED Talk. he said he's in three bands as well, oh, three yeah. of them. he could have just said, "Oh, I'm in a band, but no, he's in three bands what, how have you How have you found yourself in three bands because you've already said you're busy. Stop making it hard for yourself, Steve, what's the deal? <laughs>
2: I mean, it's just what I love, right? I love Is music. Is this because
1: you're sick of your washing up with your wife and kids? You've just gone, no, I'm going to the garage. I'm in another band. <laughs> the third well, band's just you singing singing on your own in the shower. It's a point of contention
2: with my wife, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, <laughs> yeah. so I'll back it up to the Neighbours days. So in Neighbours, I was playing music, and I used to play with Daniel McPherson, who played Joel, and we were a, a duo acoustic mm-hmm. act. And Alan Fletcher was like our kind of mentor. You know, he was in band. He's amazing. <laughs> he, he tours. This is a yeah, documentary Fletcher on its own. Yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, Neighbours is Neighbours is a an acting show. But if you really think about it, Kylie, Jason Donovan, Craig McLaughlin. it's always music. Like Neighbours is music. Yeah. People don't really think about it that way, but I always did. And even Russell Crowe had his own band, like, you know, and he, he did a cameo on Neighbours. So I used to play um, with Daniel and then also the guy called Jonathan Dutton who played Tad. So yeah. and we all played acoustic guitar and we used to play at parties, sometimes at work. Um,
1: were, you, were you writing your own stuff or were you doing covers? Or
2: With them it was always covers, but I did when I moved to the UK to do Panto, which was the best by the way, my favorite awesome. acting job was doing panto. <laughs> I, I actually, I had no money. Uh, I was, I was getting ready to swim the English channel and I was, um, I had to stay in the UK for quite a long time. And back in those days as an Australian to be an actor, you couldn't act or, or play music on the, um, uh, what do you call it? The visa, the working visa. So, England was protecting its acting and and musical jobs from foreign people coming in and doing it. Fair enough, don't don't begrudge it, but it meant for me coming in as an actor, I couldn't go and get a job and just get one. I had to go and get a job. If I got it, I'd have to go to France, get my visa, come back, do the job. Very complicated. So I managed to get myself a panto, and we did um, we performed at Stevenage. We did Cinderella. And it went for 11 weeks. It was a massive run. I think we did 111 shows or something like that. What part did you play? Uh, I was Prince Charming in Cinderella. And Bradley Walsh was my protagonist. He was Buttons. Bradley Walsh is a (laughs) legend, by the way. We had a ball. Like, as I said, favourite acting job ever. Before and after that, I had to make ends meet. And so I used to play in the pub. Below my flat in in Hampstead in London, to earn my rent, and I just used to <laughs> play covers, and so I really got into music doing that. And I what spent, were your
0: uh, sorry Stephen? What were your kind of go-to covers? What were the real crowd pleasers around that uh, time?
2: Well, not to stroke Adam's ego too much, but a lot of Oasis. Like we would do <laughs> um, "Don't Look Back in Anger," which is, I still oh, do. Um, yeah, lots of Beatles and. But then it was a big sort of push into the surf rock, or sorry, acoustic surf stuff of like Ben Harper, Jack Johnson, that kind of thing. So yeah. Van Morrison was highly featured. Anyway, and, and every now and then, if there was one of the guys from Neighbours in town, guess what? They'd come and perform <laughs> with me. So oh. <laughs> have was like regular Wednesday gig. And every now and then, every now and then, there'd be someone who, you know, no one remembered who I was, but every now and then, they, <laughs> you'd get like Tadpole. You'd get like these people rocking up and singing and playing guitar. So it became a bit of a thing. And um, <laughs> and I spent almost 20 years not playing in a band after that. I, I, I had a band behind me while I did that. Was, we were a three-piece and we did a, a bit of a tour of the unis and, you know, milked neighbours, to be honest. I'll be honest. That's um, what we're
1: doing now, to be fair.
2: but once it was over i kind of i just ended up getting i don't know people would get me to play their wedding if they knew me and i just did little bits but i didn't play seriously and i had kids and anyway and then it was only a few years ago i was at this uh my kids what we call in australia primary school i think you call it a public school or something but like the 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 junior like you don't have to pay for it state funded school Mm. yep And they had this tradition of having a rock band formed by the parents that fundraised for the school and it puts on gigs. And it had been going for 10 years and it was about to die. And one of um, the other parents said, I I hear you can play. And I was like, oh, it's been a while, but yeah. And they said, well, we'd love it if you could join in and have a go. And I said, I haven't played rock since high school like and it's a rock band you know we're playing Mr Brightside the killers like you know um black keys that kind of stuff even nirvana and i was like i haven't i haven't even had an amp like I, i've been an acoustic player since neighbor's days and um but i said all right i'll give it a crack um and they they had a cool name they called lost property which i just thought was hilarious for a parents rock band um and so <laughs> anyway i joined and We ended up finding our groove and we found a few other members. And now we play every month. And out of Lost Property, there were two people in it who really loved acoustic music. So I've dragged them into a a band we call The Subset because it's the subset of Lost Property. And we play acoustic (laughs) stuff. And then once a year, we do this thing called Battle of the Beaches, which is coming up at the moment. And it's where all the parents rock bands from around the area compete. And it's like Battle of the Bands. No and way. Last year we won. We were like, oh, smashed it. But anyway, there were four bands last year and one player from each band, this wasn't planned, but we got together and joined it and made a funk band. And this is called Moonshot. So this is the Super League of all the other bands. <laughs> and, um, and in Moonshot... Um, Yeah, I'm easily the worst performer, but I've got all these amazing, like we've got a a drummer, a bass guitarist. I play second guitar to another guy. We've got a saxophonist who's got three different versions of saxes. This beautiful soulful singer called Lily and an amazing keyboard player. And we do things like uh, play that funky music, White Boy or California Soul. And the dance floor gets going at all these bands. That's the... The whole prerequisite of even playing music is that the crowd gets into it. So I love it. That's kind of my. I wish I could do it full you time. time.
1: What, what do your kids think? What a, What do your kids think of this? Because are they like, oh, brilliant? Is my like dad so cool? He's doing. He's in all these bands. Or are they like, oh my god, stop it? He's doing another one. He won't. He won't get off the stage. <laughs> what What are your kids like?
2: <laughs> so they've got these guitars. There's only a few of them there, and the keys and the drum. But my kids are in a band called Lunch Money, <laughs> nice. so they've got their own. They've got their own act. Even my six-year-old, she's she's actually a solo um, ukulele and singer player. So they thing. They're, they're, they're totally into it.
1: So I <laughs> joked at the start about you lot being like the Von Trapp family, but it turns out you are
2: indeed this musical family. Pretty much, yeah.
0: <laughs> so cool though. So all that's left really is you to start a band with your kids.
2: It's it's coming, and then that'll be band. It's coming, yeah, it's coming, yeah. My my wife, (laughs) who is amazing, and and she's also musical. She can sing and she played the clarinet, but she's shy, so she doesn't ever want to perform. But she keeps joking that we're going to be like Hanson one day. She's you know.
1: (laughs) You know what? If like you asked when I was 15, 16, what album it would have been? If you'd gone a year or two earlier, I would have probably said Mbop and Hanson. To be fair, that's that was the song of the summer at one point. I love your honesty, <laughs> <Seattle.
2: laughs> Great tune. Their second album, is really good. You should check that out.
1: I saw them live support. I saw him live, and recently they were back in the UK and they were supporting Busted. Do you know Do you know Busted over in Australia? Have a little listen. Hanson and Busted on the same show. I didn't go, and I'm. Gutted I didn't go to that show. I imagine it was a great show.
2: No, they they're killer musicians, and it's crazy that they're old now. Anyway,
0: <laughs> we've been avoiding it as long as we can. Should we talk about some neighbours? Yeah, let's get into it. <laughs> we style this podcast. That is an it's a podcast that is sometimes about neighbours. We we talk we... so much other shit. We never actually talk about neighbours. <laughs> Neighbours always provides the little kind of jumping off points and these little conversation topics but we always forget to come back to the Neighbours so it's, uh, it's very in keeping with the podcast So Steve, so apparently you were in Neighbours
2: Once upon
1: a time, yeah <laughs> <laughs> So <laughs> Neighbours is back now, it got cancelled it's back, it's in the public eye again has that kind of like does that bring, like, like you were saying about the music has that brought back happy memories for you or are you like have you had you put that in a box and forgot about it what are your thoughts on your time on the show
2: no not at all um they're fond memories and i actually i'm still in touch with alan fletcher and um and jason herbison's the the new ep um probably most fans wouldn't know who that is but he he was a writer in my day and a journalist and now he's the executive producer and. Um, yeah, he he was a fan, wasn't he? And wrote like a letter
0: to to the producers, and then yep. got himself in the writers' room, didn't he? Yeah, yeah.
2: and a legend. <laughs> so I've, I've I've been in touch <laughs> just to say congrats. You know, I'm 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 really happy that it's back and um that they're they're continuing on with the legacy because it was such a wonderful thing for me. Um, in the time that I was there, I really loved it. I mean, it was you can imagine if you're having some sort of a normal life. Like I was at university, I was studying to become a doctor and, and all of a sudden I got this phone call going, oh, you know, all that acting you've been doing on the side, well, they want you to quit university and go and work on Neighbours for a couple of years. I was like, what? You know, I had to pack my bags, pack my car, drive nine hours south to Melbourne and completely change my whole life. And, and of course, for those years, it was just like a different world. And then it gradually faded and I went back to finding my own career and some sort of a normal life. But it was, um, yeah, I look back on it as just being one of those random things. I'm like, I can't believe that happened, but it was it was so beautiful and so great. And more than anything else, I, the people I met, outstanding humans, and, and I continue to be in touch with a lot of them today. We have found that with, with a lot of people we spoke to is that
0: everyone still stays in contact. It might be a year between messages and this idea, like but everyone still checks up on each other and says, Hey, how are you going? and make sure everyone's doing okay. And if you're ever in the area, come, you know, hit me up. And well, well, we've been lucky enough to chat to a few people on, on this podcast.
1: Everyone is so nice. Like, I cannot <laughs> imagine another show where current cast or former cast are as nice as they are. It's, it's crazy how nice everyone is and how ready people are to talk about it and entertain two losers from England about this show that some of them were on 20 years ago. And people are so nice. Um, And you have continued that, Stephen. Well Well, done for being so nice.
2: (laughs) You guys are pretty nice folks yourselves. You probably only talk to the cast, but you've got to remember that to put a show like that together, the cast is probably, it's maybe if you're lucky a quarter or a third of the people and some of my best friends from it, you would not know who they are, but they were the makeup lady or they might've been in the production team or they might've been, you know, a director. And, um, and it was, it was a real family. That was what was so nice about it. And so the thing that, you know, as you say, we all drift apart, we might not speak for years, but one person who was always close to me was Jonathan Dutton who played Tad and he was the best man at my wedding and um and his father was a close friend and um and when his father passed away from cancer obviously I I went to the funeral in the wake and and a lot of people came you know it was a lot of cast a lot of crew a lot of the old people and this was probably three or four years ago now that was the last chance I really engaged with a lot of people at once but it was. you know people still really care about each other to that point and so that's a you know a sad way to have to reconnect but and um and we were really there and the way jonathan framed it was to celebrate a great man's life and so it was quite a celebration rather than you know a commiseration so that was beautiful wow, wow. that's nice how, how was his
0: best man speech so did he <laughs> stitch you up or
2: <laughs>
0: was he quite was he quite tame was he quite kind to you <laughs>
2: so so it's quite a funny thing actually so my um, my family, as you might imagine, are a bit musical, and my wife's family are uh, not and and in fact, um, the one thing my wife had said is i don't please i don't want anyone singing songs or anything like that." And I said, "Well, it just is what it is that so her family um, <laughs> her side It is the- what it is <laughs> 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 yes, yeah. Yeah, so I, I I hadn't really known what anyone else was going to do and I didn't tell them what to do, but I knew I had a song. I'd written her one and I was going to play that. And, um, and her family did these beautiful speeches, like really heartfelt, her, her maid of honour was a great friend of mine, like incredible, and her dad, a hilarious speech and her mum got up and did a bit. And, but my, my parents rewrote the words to Piano Man and made everyone sing along and handed them out. So that was hilarious. After a bit, <laughs> and cool. then Jono rewrote the words to um what do they call Flight of the Concords, It's Business Time. And it was like Oh yeah, I know that song. Business, <laughs> it's business time. <laughs> and she afterwards said to me, you know, hearing everybody sing it's business time while my parents are there it was like no. <laughs> you know appropriate. Anyway, and then after after two speeches full of songs, I was like, Oh, oh well, here we go. Three from three. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um and my, my song was more mushy. It was um but anyway, it was fun. <laughs> she knew what
1: she was getting into, I'm sure. She knew it was coming. That's
2: <laughs> what so I kept telling her. I was like, I didn't I didn't I've never changed. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs>
1: So one of the what that's one of the storylines that you did on Neighbours was when you did some Elvis impersonation stuff on Neighbours. But now this all kind like we were ready to ask you this and go, "What? How, how did they convince you to do that?" I'm I'm now thinking
2: you probably <laughs> pitched this and convinced them. It's it's a little bit of both. When I got down there, you know, as I said, packed my car, quit university, drove down. To this other city it's kind of like driving to manchester from london but much further i'd never been there i'm just like oh my god where am i and what am i doing and i got to know the producers and some of the different people who again who you wouldn't know like the the back of house people and they were asking me like well what are your hobbies what do you love doing and i said oh you know i love playing guitar and piano and singing and they're like oh okay and before too long i was approached by the executive producer who said we want you to go and spend a couple of days with these guys and they were um songwriters and they said we need we want to write something into the storyline because you like music so they kind of did base it around what i like but they said, but we can't, we can't license an Elvis song. That'll cost too much money. We don't have budget. So we're going to have to, we need to write one that sounds sort of like an Elvis song. <laughs> and it was cool. So I got to go with these guys who are professional songwriters in a studio and that was the brief, but and they were really collaborative. They're like, you know, what do you reckon? And I was, we just kind of thrashed out what ended up on the show. We we co-wrote it. Red, Red suede
0: shoes, was it? <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I,
2: like, I can't even remember what it was. And I remember Jackie, um, who played Susan, after I did the first scene, because I was, I don't know, I, I guess I'd never really been on a TV show. I hadn't really acted a lot, so at the start I was old. Wholeheartedly admit, I wasn't very good, wasn't very confident, didn't really know what I was doing, probably wasn't impressing anyone. And when I did the Elvis scene for the first time, she came up to me. She goes, "That's," and she's got a bit of an Irish accent. She goes, "That was fucking great. You know, you really let go. That's great. You got to keep doing that." <laughs> and I was like, "Okay, all right." <laughs> it was just like it was a real turning point for me as an actor to get a bit of confidence in. What the hell I was trying to do? <laughs> but, um, yeah,
1: that was. more Elvis.
2: And, no. and funnily enough, I don't know if you know this, but they got me back for the twentieth anniversary episode. It was probably maybe four, three or four years, and they had me in Sydney pretending that I ran an Elvis impersonator company or something like that. I can't. Is that what it was? <laughs> I was, but I was this like big executive <laughs> with my feet up on the desk in a suit, going, "Well, I run now, like the biggest." Elvis impersonating group, <laughs> you know, something. Oh, maybe it was just like some impersonators. I can't remember the premise of it, but it was, it was typical, hilarious song. Like, you know, what's your favorite fantastic. Elvis
1: song, Stephen?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. That movie was so good, actually. The movie I mean, was good. I wore
1: this today. Look. Oh, not
2: Elvis T-shirt. <laughs> you already mentioned it, but blue suede shoes was the first Elvis song I ever knew, and as a little little kid, I used to I used to do the dance where I was twisting my feet on my the balls like that, and mm. my parents used to always play that song for me just because I danced in a funny way, so that's probably it but there are so many so
0: many hits I should say I should say that my favorite Elvis song is can't help falling in love because that was mm. my wedding song
2: you be version that Elvis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah, but my wife doesn't listen to this so it's burning love because that is an absolute <laughs> oh pitch, yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely
1: that's probably I'd, I'd probably go with that one I like in the because I hadn't really heard this song much until I watched the film and the one if I could dream I think that bit in the film and that song is, is really good I really like that one
0: do you know what I've still not watched that film I've literally got it on DVD over there my dad gave it to me about a month ago and I've still not got around to watch it so I think I might have to watch that tonight now I'm going
2: to, I, I think
0: the, the cosmos is aligning here. I'm going to have to watch it tonight.
2: Yeah, you can't go wrong with the Baz Luhrmann film.
0: And it, it must be handy for you, Stephen, as well, because there's not many of the younger Elvis impersonators. Most of the Elvis impersonators I've seen uh, when he's at, at Elvis. a few burgers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was trying to be diplomatic about that. But yeah, most, most I'd say 98% of Elvis impersonators are, towards the end of Elvis's life. So it's good to have that in your back pocket, you know.
1: Well, yeah, if you wanted to join a fourth band, Steve, you could just get um, get out there and do a bit of, bit of Elvis, bring it back.
2: True. Uh, if I find some time, I'll let you know.
1: <laughs> you, you almost killed Harold. Yeah, I did. There was a few things that I think made you... Like, the Elvis stuff, really fun, brilliant. But then there was a few other things that your character had to do which probably didn't make the fans of the show particularly like Matt very much. Like, Harold, big name, big, big character on that show, and you mowed him down, and somehow, when you hit him with your car, made him go blind. Yeah. I don't know how you managed that. Like... You must have clipped him in a very specific way in order to detach his retinas and make him go blind. He didn't have another scratch on him, but his eyes did fall out of his head. Ha- like, <laughs> what, what did you make of that storyline? So you get told you're going to make Harold go blind. What are your thoughts?
2: I hope I'm not out of school by sharing this, but, um, but Ian, who played Harold, had actually had a knee operation around the time we were doing that. And I think he got a staph infection, so he couldn't even walk. Oh! they decided that, in their wisdom, his retinas had fallen off. (laughs) (laughs) It's almost, I've hit him with a car and he can't walk, isn't it? Anyway, there were many a discussion about that.
0: The answer was staring him in the face there, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, That's the beauty of neighbours, though. They don't go for the
2: obvious. (laughs) I mean, the script writing is... um, you know, there's a, there's a real knack to it and it's not an obvious one, um, but it's hilarious. I <laughs> <laughs> think that's what they really do. Like, you know, for some people they're getting swept up in the drama, but for other people, they're just really picking up on all of the kind of really ridiculous cues that are going on in the script. and And it's hilarious if you can sort of pick those up and enjoy them. No, I think that's part of the magic of it.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Like we love we love neighbours and we love watching neighbours, but we also love ragging on neighbours sometimes as well because some of the stuff is just just so left field.
1: Well I, I, I checked up on this because I I wanted to do a little bit of research, but this was a, this you clipped Harold and made him go blind because you were doing some illegal street racing at the time. Yeah, I was trying your to... character. But then I, I thought when did Fast and the Furious come out? <laughs> and it actually came out a couple of weeks after you were doing this in 2001.
2: Yeah, we were first.
1: <laughs> You're the one who started this craze. We're about 44 films in now, and I don't think any of these would have happened if you hadn't have taken it upon yourself to go street racing round Erinsborough.
2: Well, I'll, I'll take that. I mean, uh, it probably takes a few more than a couple of weeks to make a few, fast faster furious film. But yeah, I but, well,
1: I don't know if it does, Stephen. They seem to be throwing this shit together. I don't know.
2: Right now... <laughs> But I'll take it. I'll take it. I like I like being the first. <laughs> and it was hilarious when they like, again, like, you know, as an actor, you, you don't have the privilege of knowing where they're taking your character that much. Like you kind of get your scripts about a week in advance and you're like, oh, that's what's happening. And you, you learn them as best as you can and you try to perform them. And you've got to remember Neighbours is making about almost 22 minutes of content every day and if you've ever worked in tv that's a shitload of content it's really fast and you've got to do your best to prepare and again i was young and naive and probably for many of my scenes didn't prepare as much as i wish i had but the professionals are like putting in the time and effort and um and it's one of those things where you look at it and you go you know, getting put into these situations where your character is mowing down someone like Harold, and you're like, "Oh my god, what's going to happen next?" It was actually you're on the seat of your pants to get your script, and you're like, "Oh." Yeah. <laughs> what What did they say to you
1: about like your character in the handcuffs? So when you got the job, because I think you came in first, didn't you? And then the family kind of followed quite yeah. quickly after. How did they kind of sell you the character and the family and everything like that?
2: Well. To be honest, I was, um, I was very focused on university. I was up in Sydney and I'd done a couple of roles within Home and Away, very very brief roles, a couple of speaking yeah. roles. And I, and I expected I was going to end up there if I got anywhere. And one day my agent called me who, you know, was more or less experimenting. He was a, so I, I should mention, I went to high school with Daniel McPherson. So he'd got the role of Joel, and and I'd met his agent at his barbecue. And his agent was like, We got on, we had a bit of a chat, and he goes, Have you ever acted? And I was like, Well, yeah, I did drama at school. I wrote a couple of plays. I sent him some stuff. He goes, Well, you know, I reckon you've got what it takes. Do you want to have a go? And I was like, Nah, I'm trying to get into university. And <laughs> this was in high school. And I'm, then I'm he, trying to get a real job. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And a couple of years later, Daniel had become big and, um, and I was at another barbecue cause he's my mate and ran into the same guy and he goes, Oh, I remember you. How's it going? And I said, yeah, good. And he said, what are you doing now? And I said, oh, I'm trying to become a doctor. <laughs> and he said, well, what do you think about acting? Do you want to have a go? And I said, actually, yeah, I'd love to have a go. I finished high school. That was like put a lot of pressure on getting a good score. And, um, but and then so he put me into acting classes and and he kind of really groomed me into it. And then I was an extra in home and away. And then I started to do speaking spots. And he was like, We're getting close, we're getting close. And I was like, Whatever. I I don't know, it was just such a lottery to me. I was like, sure. And then one day he said, All right, I've got you an audition at neighbors. Don't fuck this up. And um <laughs> I went and did it with Jan Russ, who's the most Amazing lady in the whole thing. Actually, she's she cast Kylie and everyone. She's a legend, and she didn't even make me act. She just talked to me about my my family and what I liked and my my values. She really just wanted to know who I was, and then um I guess we ran a script, but it was it felt much more about getting to know each other. And then I got told, "Yeah, you got the job. You're going down there for a couple of years," and so I had to just. Pack my bags and go it was surreal. Like just kind of happened out of nowhere, really. And yeah, and off I went, and just tried to do my best to learn as quickly as I could and and develop the character. And the character, I, I can't. They called it Oliver, I think, first, and they changed it to Matt after they saw my face. Random. I don't know why. <laughs> um, Not Steven. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know it was all just kind of getting thrown together and I didn't even know I had a family until I got there and then after about a week or so when I was being oriented they went oh this is going to be your dad this is going to be your mum and your brother and your sister and I was like oh my god and we we actually became like a really close family because I was completely thrown in from a different place I had no friends or family at all and um and yeah they were they were beautiful people like and we really just kind of and the the kids were so young, so I was you know the big brother to them and um and then yeah Sally and Nick were real parents to me and just helping me get settled and helping me learn the ropes because I'd never been on a show, I didn't know what to do, I wasn't very well trained as an actor and had so much to learn. So it was um it was a really beautiful time.
0: It felt quite a short time for the for the Hancock family as a whole. Do you feel like they got a fair shake of the, of the whip, so to speak? Do you feel like they got enough time to? To show all the potential that that family
2: had, I'd say probably the yes answer is no. But I think you know, for whatever reason, they'd made a decision upstairs that it wasn't working enough for them, and they moved us all on. And that's that's showbiz. So, but i you know, I've got nothing but great memories of my time, and, and I appreciate that. But it was, you know, it was one of those things they probably could have kept us on as as long as any other family that's there. But they need to see something that's really working, that, that the audience is really loving, and. For whatever reason that probably wasn't clicking.
1: What um so it started back up again, obviously neighbours now, and they've got some of the old regulars back on, but then they've got like um some new people as well. And there's been there's a new family that's joined the street now. What sort of advice um would you give to like a new family joining the street? Because it it cannot be easy when you were the Hancocks. Like you say, maybe maybe they could have lasted a little bit longer. But they had like the Kennedys, I think, when you were there, it had the Scullies when you were there. It had yep. Lou and Harold, all these like well-established people. What is it like being almost the newbie, like the new kid in school? What What was that like? And what would you say to like the new the new characters who've come on? Would you give them some advice?
2: I would. I, I think my best learning, which I've taken into every other job, is to actually get to know everybody you're working with, and forget the forget that it's a TV show, right? Um, We were really, really supported by a lot of the cast, like um, some of them invited me over for dinner with their families and things like that. And generally the cast, you know, were really welcoming and it was a nice family environment. But but you forget, as I said, that that's probably 25% of the company or the team and if you're not going and making really good friends with the caterer or the hairdresser or the person who's moving the props in or the executive producer or the woman who's on reception you know you're you're missing it and and so i think and i was probably a bit naive coming in that i i didn't proactively go and do that very early and i and i i worked it out later and i and i did make amends for that and got to know everybody properly and I think it's so important that, especially if you're a cast member, otherwise you're you you could not be seen as to have a big ego oh you're just the, you're just a cast like you know yeah. but you have to really acknowledge that it's a team effort and it's a group effort, and everybody in there is playing an integral role in making the output and so my biggest advice and i, I probably should have learned that if I'd had more acting experience anyway, but I've carried that into any job I've ever had I, Spend my first 30 days or so going and having at least a coffee or a conversation with every single person I can in that company. My most most recent big company I went into was Universal Music Group here in Australia and I got put in as managing director. It's over 200 people. I went and saw everybody and I got to know who they were, what they're about, um, what their family life situation is and and made at least the starts of a friendship and that would be my biggest advice to any actor anywhere is like your job isn't just to get to know your cast members. Of course, that's who you have to interplay with. It's almost, they're almost your, your tools. Like they're the people you have to work with to get the, the magic to happen. But the people who are in your team are everybody else. And you really need to spend time getting to know them and building friendships with all of them as well. And that is what will really serve you in the long run. So that's my biggest learning. And um, my biggest advice. That's good advice. I, I, I'm the kind of boss that would never ask someone to do something I wouldn't do. And um, I, I can perform almost every role in my company if I had to. And at the moment, actually, funnily enough, I've got three of my closest people are overseas taking well-deserved long vacations because we've been at this for almost three years and no one's really taken leave. And so I'm, I'm the CEO, but I'm the chief of staff. I'm the head of product and I'm the head of customer success all at once for six weeks. It's been really hard. <laughs> but, you know, that's the kind of company I run. When do you get a holiday? Yeah, it's coming. Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is the only time I can actually switch off because it's the only time that everyone else is off. I don't have customers. I don't have, you know, I don't have staff. I don't have suppliers. There's just, it's just dead. And that, to me, is my piece. Like, that's when I really switch off with my family. But um, there's other times, and I try to go camping where there's no cellular reception, things like that. But...
1: <laughs> so you are obviously so busy, but we've got to ask, I suppose, you are so busy, but if someone from Neighbours gave you a call and said there's an Elvis-shaped hole in our <laughs> show at the moment, would you answer that call? Would you come back if they gave you a shout?
2: You know, I'd probably do what it takes to have a crack. I'd love it. I think I could probably make it work. I'd need some notice, but I could probably make it work. But yeah, I, I would really enjoy it. One of the things that you, you probably realize, like it was big in the UK, it was big in Australia, and it actually started to take off a little bit in Canada. You know, It never really had its day in America or anything like that. I don't know. When I heard that Amazon took it on, I was just thinking it through with my business head and going, I bet they're going to Try to americanize it and then when they i believe they they enlisted misha barton is that right yeah so i was like here we go like someone's thinking like that this thing obviously is a global phenomenon but not all over the globe yet and and i kind of wonder whether that's the ambition is to kind of make I this think, i think we, we we spoke to
0: fletch just before the, the show started again last month i think he it that, that that was yeah, right. kind of the the idea and there to give it a, a new Global audience. domination is what they're planning. <laughs>
2: yeah, well, and, why not?
0: And in this day and age as well, when you just want to binge stuff all the time, you know, you just been binging the new David Beckham thing. Yeah. You've got 37 years of Neighbours to binge. You're That's going to right. be absolutely fine. <laughs> you're never going to have to worry about what you're watching again. Do
2: you imagine how long that would take?
0: <laughs> <laughs> We've given it uh, well, a bit we're, of a try. <laughs> we're living it. <laughs> I think we've only made it to about 2003. And we cheated. We started in 99. Man, that's um...
2: <laughs> Yeah, yeah don't it... do that.
1: You're too busy. Do not start at the beginning with Kylie and Jason. Just watch some of your own stuff and then join the new the new biz and then that'll be enough for you.
2: <laughs> you never know. Once I'm retired in the uh, old people's home, and I've got nothing better to do. I'll just go back to... in
1: the old people's home but starting a new band. With all the, with all the <laughs> residents.
2: Well, there'll be definitely a band in my old people's home. we We'll be <laughs> DJ too, actually. That's my fifth thing. But, like, yeah, there'll be a nightclub one end, and a live music uh, venue the other, and then in between, the bed.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sounds pretty good. Stephen, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. I knew this was going to be a good chat. I knew we were going to have fun chatting to you. Hey, it's been really fun. Thank you so much for 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 doing this and like
2: having me on i really appreciate it and um yeah i can't wait to to listen to more of your episodes you guys make really hilarious content so keep it up
0: (laughs) (laughs) thank you thank you that's very nice to hear (laughs)